Well, we're going to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. (coughs) Excuse me. I have... If I move back, will that help Alicia back here? Get out from under? Okay. I have fall stuff, if you know what that means. Just a little bit of the the throat tickle thing, so I'm going to do my best not to cough this morning, but if I do, I apologize uh, for that. This morning, uh, we're going to continue our series, A Glorious Church, and uh, the term glorious or radiant church comes from uh, Paul's writings in Ephesians 5 when he's talking about husbands and wives. He likens them to the church and Christ, and he says... In Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to to present her to himself as a glorious or a radiant church. Christ today is busy. He's at work getting his bride, the church, prepared. He's got a lot of work to do. But he's certainly capable of completing the work that he starts. Philippians 1, 6 says, For he is faithful to complete what he starts in our lives. And he has started a work to build for himself a glorious and a radiant church. A church that will stand out. A church that won't be beaten down and trodden down at his return. But a church that will be separate, that will have an identity, that will be radiant, noticeable. On the earth, and Christ is preparing for him such a church. He's at work in you, and he's at work in me, and he's at work in us together to create for himself this church. And the purpose is so that the glory and the honor will return back to him, that we will glorify his name, that we will point back to who he is and all of his glory. The glory in the church, I believe, in one aspect that I'm going to talk about this morning has to do with our ability to stand. Pastor Matt last week spoke to us about the assailed church or the church under attack. It was interesting at the beginning when he did that little exercise with us where we all stood in relationship to many places on the earth today. Things are still pretty easy in the U.S. of A., When it comes to being a believer here, standing up for Christ here in the United States, not many of us have shed blood for the cause. It's still relatively easy to speak out the name of Jesus. Now, we may be ridiculed or scoffed at or or called a fool for calling his name, but our safety is not in jeopardy today. Our In most cases, our employment is not in jeopardy today. We have the freedom to speak up for Christ. So it's going to be important for us as we continue on in these days to be able to stand for Christ, not to not to fall, not to fall away from him, but to be able to stand for him in the days that are coming ahead. So in Matthew seven, Jesus closes a period of his teaching called the Beatitudes with a with a picture and Jesus was a master at pictures boy he could tell a story 
And when he did, people hearkened their ears. They, they listened up. They wanted to hear the truth that Jesus was bringing, bringing forward. So at the close of his teaching, he, he talks about this picture that I had you turn to there in Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 24 and 25. Let's read along together. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man <coughs> excuse me, who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. In this story that Jesus is talking about, he speaks of two houses. He speaks of two builders. He speaks of two results, but he speaks of one storm. We see in this story that both builders are building a house. Or for our purposes today, they're building their lives. They're investing, they're pouring time into the building of their their house. They're on site, their hands are on the tools, they are preparing a house. The text seems to indicate that they were building in the same way. There's no distinction between what was going on at one house versus what was going on at another. It must have been like an allotment. Every house was looking the same. The one man was erecting his house and the other erecting his house. And when you stood back to look at them, there was probably very little difference. Maybe just the paint color on the outside. Both builders were hearing instruction. Look at verse 24, the very beginning. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. And then in verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine. So, Both builders were hearing instruction about how to build. But yet, both builders are hit by a storm. Kind of interesting this morning on the way to church, or my time getting ready to come to church, I I get a text because I knew Linda was singing this morning. And I get a text and she says in the text, I'm thinking about changing my song to the anchor holds. What do you think about that? And I said, Perfectly fine. (laughs) Perfectly good. Good call. It fits right in with the story here that Jesus is telling about these two builders. He's talking and saying that both of these houses got hit by the storm. You know, storms are indiscriminate. Storms do not choose their path. Storms do not single out lives and people. Storms are indiscriminate. The storms of life, my friend, are indiscriminate. The storms of life don't only affect the good and not the, not, 
not the bad. The storms, the rain, Jesus says, falls on the just and the unjust. So you can be a good person and live a good life and have a storm. Isn't that right? You can love the Lord. You can read his word. You can obey his call. And you can still have a storm hit your life. How many of you would agree with that? How many would you agree because been there, done that? A couple times. More than a dozen. Put your hands down. Storms are indiscriminate. That's good to remember because you know what happens when the storm hits our life. You know, the very first word that we say with the question mark, why? Some of us put me on the end. Why me? Why me? As if we're standing before the Lord with a T-shirt on that says anybody but me. Certainly, I have attained and I have come into a place of spiritual growth and spirituality that God's going to just cause the storm to move around me because I'm I'm a good person. I love the Lord. I serve him. I know his word. Therefore, I should be immune from a storm. It's not so, is it? Storms are indiscriminate. Take Job, for instance. Remember his story? talking to someone this week about the heavenly look of Job's story and the earthbound look of Job's story. We get the privilege of seeing the heavenbound perspective on the story. And we know the behind the scenes of Job's storm. Do you remember in Job 1, it says there that Job was an upright, blameless man who feared God and shunned evil. He was, he was top-notch. There was nobody greater than Job. There was nobody with more integrity in, than Job. There was no one that feared the Lord like Job. He was up in a category all his own. The writer says that of him. And God, later in chapter 1, says the same words about Job. So it's true. God saw Job the same way. And yet Job was probably a man who suffered the most in Scripture. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Why? Because storms are indiscriminate. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 5.45, The Father in heaven causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So as proud Americans, we have to Remember two things. One, we're not immune from the storm because we're a child of God. And the other thing, on the other side of the coin, is a good thing to think about. I didn't bring on the storm. I didn't bring on the storm. It's not something I did. It's not something I chose. Although, let me offer a disclaimer, sin has consequences. I've got to keep that one in mind. In fact, a very good prayer, my friends, to pray when the storm hits is this. Lord, is there something that you are trying to convict me about that I know now I need to hear? It's a good starting point when the storm comes. Asking the Lord, Lord, what's going on? Is there anything going on inside of me? Is there any sin that you're trying to point out? 
that's brought this consequence or brought this storm. If not, remember, storms are indiscriminate. Storms are also certain. It says there in verse 25, the rain came. The streams rose, the winds blew. In other words, storms, they are coming. You might sit here and think, I don't think, Pastor Cindy, I've ever been through a storm. I don't think I've ever had a tough thing ever happen in my life. I don't think I've ever gone through anything that I couldn't really explain why it happened. That really hasn't happened to me. Hang on. Hang on, because life has a way to the young and to the older to allow and to bring storms. They're certain. It's a fact. Hard times come. Here are some things that storms do in our lives. Storms, first of all, expose our trust. Storms cause us to see where our trust is. Is our trust in that job and the job's gone? Is our trust in that spouse and that spouse is gone? Is our trust in things should be just fine in my life and they're not? Is my trust in myself that I can control the situation? I can fix the storm's damage. I can trust in myself. Storms will reveal where your trust is, what you trust in. How deep is your trust? And is your trust going to provide an anchor for you? Secondly, storms show us what's on the inside of us. Think of yourself as a sponge. And the hand that attaches itself to the sponge and squeezes hard is a storm. Storms show us what's inside You're not what you are when everything is fine. You're really not. We're all our best person when nothing is going wrong. (laughs) Or when things are just mildly difficult. We can we can grab a hold of it. We can we can bring it in. We can reel it in. We can put a smile on our face. We can regroup. We can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. But when the storm intensifies and the wind starts to truly blow and it becomes more than what we can bear, the storm has a way of putting its hand around the sponge of our life and squeezing us. And when that squeeze comes, that's really who we are. When the pressure comes in life, that's who we really are. So the storm shows us, pretty or ugly, what's on the inside of us. Third, storms refine our character. Storms are sent to refine us. And the refinery process has two phases. One, burning away the dross. Burning away what is not expected to stay. Burning away the impurities. Burning away the wrong out of us. So that what is pure within us can be made strong and refined. In fact, James in chapter 1 says these words. Consider it. You know what he says there? Say it with me. Pure. Pure joy. I, I just heard it coming through. 
Consider it. Notice he says, it's not pure joy. He says, consider it pure joy. Why? He goes on to say, whenever you face storms of many kinds, because you know that the storm or the trial of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You're not mature until you go through a storm. You're not strong in faith until you go through a storm, something difficult, something hard. Because storms have a way of putting the pressure on us to let us know what's in there and also to put pressure on us so that the character that is will become refined and purified. He turns up the heat. He turns up the pressure. The storms come. It also, fourthly, the storm reveals the foundation of the building. It reveals the foundation because foundations are hidden. Are they not? You can't tell what the foundation of this building is until about January and you feel the cold come out of the floor here and realize we're on concrete. The foundation of your house today is not exposed to, to the elements to see what it's made out of. But when the storm comes and the storm affects the building that's on the foundation, the foundation is exposed. What that house is being built on shows up. You get to see what's there. See the pictures that Tim and Julie Barnhart bring to us from that from the areas that they minister in after a hurricane or a tornado has gone through and everything is rubble. But you can look down and see a hole. Maybe with some cement block there is the foundation. The storm exposed it, exposed what is there. Both builders in this story that Jesus is telling have a foundation for their house. One builder takes the hard road and he digs down into the earth and he blows away the sand and he secures for himself a rock. And it's on this rock that he decides to begin to build. And I can imagine if both men started at the same time, one man would already have some of the side up on his home while the other is still digging. And I'm sure the one builder could look at the other and say, man, you're going so fast. You're, you're putting up the house. It's really going really smoothly and quickly. Man, this is hard work that I dig down and dig down. And blow away the sand and dig down and work hard to establish something that my house can rest on and that my house can endure. It says there that the wise man built his house on rock. The word rock there is Petra, which is the same word that Jesus used when he was talking about the building of his church in Matthew 16. It's the very same word that Peter uses in his confession of Christ. Remember the passage where Jesus asked the disciples, who do you guys think that I am? Who is it that you think I am? And it says there in the passage that the Lord, the Father, reveals to Peter who Christ is. For he says, for thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to Peter and said, nobody, nobody that's flesh and blood Revealed that to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, has revealed this to you. And upon this Petra, upon this rock of confession, 
I will build my church. In other words, on the word of God, on Jesus Christ, the living word, Jesus is going to build his church. It's the very same word that we read here in in verse 24. The wise man building his house on the Petra, the rocks of God. Peter's name was Petros, boulder. This word rock means a rock bed. The word of God, the confession of Peter that Christ is the living God. The builder builds his house on this rock. Practically speaking, when Jesus is talking about this story, he is referring back to a body of teaching that he just completed. How do we know that? Look at verse 24, the very first word. Therefore, or because I just spoke these words, I'm telling you this story. And he points back to the words that he had already just completed, which are the words of God. Let's take a look back. How many of you have a physical Bible in your lap this morning? Good. I want you to flip back a couple pages to Matthew 5. The disciples in the audience that just heard the story Jesus is telling were seated and listening to the teaching that Jesus was giving preceding the story. Because the listeners are probably thinking to themselves, what is this rock that you're talking about? And he's trying to let them know that the teaching that he just completed is a portion of the rock. And as we walk through, some of you have chapter titles or headings above paragraphs. And you're going to see the progression here really quickly. He goes back into into Matthew 5. and, And let's look at some of the things that Jesus was giving as the word of God. He's talking about in the prologue, the ones who are happy and blessed. Who are the folks that have blessing and happiness in their life? Blessed are the, blessed are the, those phrases completed tell us. Who Christ is blessing, who are are happy because of the words that he spoke and the truth that he's giving. He goes on and he talks about the salt and the light. Do you see that there? Yeah, verses 13 and following. He talked about the identity of a Christ follower. That the identity and the influence of the believer is important. That salt has to do with the quality of your life and that light has to do with the influence of your light. He moves on. He talks about personal relationships. Look at verse 21. Maybe you're heading there as it is with me. says murder. What is murder? He was opening up Jesus' description of murder there. He's talking about personal relationships and how important they are in the body of Christ. He's talking about the fact that murder happens with our lips. It doesn't happen with the deed of our hand. As much as it happens with the things that we say. And he goes on to say, if you murder with your mouth, you need to go and make it right. It's more important than coming to the altar at church. He goes on and he talks about marriage and the sacredness of marriage. In verse 27, he says, your marriage is sacred. And he says, take some drastic steps to save it. Be drastic. Talks about cutting off the hand if the hand offends you. What's he saying? That we just need to, to take our appendages off of our body? No. But he's saying if there's something 
that is pushing against your marriage and seeking to destroy it, be drastic about it and get rid of it. Because marriage is sacred. It's to be protected. He goes on to talk about personal integrity, about keeping your word, about not making great boasts, about keeping your word simple. A simple yes and a simple no will do. He talks about giving, giving to the one that asks and asks again. He talks about loving and praying for those that are opposed to you, are your enemy. He talks about giving secretly to those that are in need and being a person that's dependent upon God. As we move through, he talks about the idea of giving in chapter 6. Giving to God. When we give to God, our giving is secure. When we give to God, it seals our heart in heaven. When we give to God, it shows us who we're serving. Giving. And then finally, the area of trust in chapter 6. Jesus was teaching them about the importance of allowing God to meet your needs, not to be caught up in worry over the things that you can't control, but to yield them to the Lord and trust him with them. And that seeking first his kingdom is the priority that we need to have. And then all the other things of this life are added to us. So when Jesus says, therefore, he's pointing back to this teaching in the Beatitudes. And he's saying, those are my words. Those are the words of God. Therefore, if you build on those words, if you take into your life through obedience, those teachings, when the storms of life come to you, you will stand. You won't fall. The foundation of the other builder is sand. I love sand. I love the beach. On days like this, I really love the beach. Most of us have encountered sand, played in sand, built with sand, buried people in sand, made sand castles. You know, I used to do that a lot with my niece and nephew on the beach. And, And I was really into it, you know, the moats and the... The little windows on the, give me that stick. I want to draw a window on that one castle there. You go to the dollar store and you buy all the buckets so the the little cutouts are across the top and around the edge. And, you know, you're, you're building. You get out there early in the morning. You start to build and you take a break for lunch. And then you go back and you add more. And, oh, this would be cool. Let's put another moat here. And then we'll put we'll put the servants' quarters over here. Let's do that one. Okay, bring that bucket over here. We're going we're gonna to make the servants' quarters. And then we're going to take the sand and get a little wet and we're going to drop it on top of the castles and make them look really cool. And all the time we're working, the tide keeps coming up closer and closer. And you begin to look at that castle in the four and a half hours that you just put in it. And you know it's a goner. You know that you come back after dinner for that walk on the beach it's gone. There's no, there's no evidence that anything had ever been there except that pail that we forgot when we went back to the room. Oh, that must have been where the castle was. The other man in this story decides, I'm going to build on the sand. It's quick. 
It's easy. I don't have to do all that extra work. I don't need to find a rock. I just need to put up a house. I just need a place to dwell. Sand is an easy foundation. There's no digging required. It can be done in a hurry. But sand is shifting and sand is superficial. The sand of this story, my friends, is so different than the rock. The rock is immovable. Sand is shifting. The word of God is immovable. Human will is shifting. Human opinion is shifting. Human attitudes and feelings are shifting. The world system is shifting. The messages that we're getting from the world is shifting. If we build our life, if you build your life on that sand, you only have a matter of time. Until the sand is going to be washed away, until the storm is going to come. So the other foundation is a sandy foundation. And the result, as we read there at the end of these verses, 27, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, the house built on the sand, and it fell. And Matthew felt the need to write great in there. With a great crash, it came tumbling down. I don't know, was it a one-story, two-story, five-story home? We don't know how big it is, but it was pretty big in order for it to come down with a crash. That's the destination of the house that's built on sand. But look at verse 25. The rain came down and the streams rose. Sounds like the same storm, doesn't it? And the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had been built on the foundation of the rock. The key for us today as believers to stand in the storm is to be founded upon the rock. Now, when Jesus spoke to both of these builders, he said essentially the same words, and they're captured in 24. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine, period, no, look again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice and lives them out and puts shoe leather on them and lets it affect their bank account and lets it affect their choices and lets it affect their decisions. It is that man who will stand when the storm comes. My friend today, there are and I'm going to do my little quotes, there are Christians who are building on sand. They are building upon popular opinion. They are building on the culture. They are building on things that are very uncertain, human opinion and attitude. They're building on their own feelings. Well, I feel this. Well, this must be right. I feel this. That's sand, my friend. That's sand. I think this. It's a little different than what the Word of God says, but it's a good thought. I think this. That is sand, my friend. That is sand. When we take in the, the messages of the world and human influence and not only take them in, but live them out, 
We are building on sand. It's a warning today for us. That we as believers can build on sand too. And that sand leaves us in a very precarious place when the storm comes. There's no guarantee that you will stand. In fact, Matthew says there was a great crash, a great fall. The key for standing today is not do I know what God says, but am I doing what God says? There's a very big moral split happening in our nation. Have you seen it? Do you pick up on it? Are you going to do something about it? On November 6th, are you going to do something about that? There is a definite moral chasm that is growing. And most Christians, be this uh, center line, the chasm, most Christians have been standing like this for a long time. And that's fine when it's a crack in the ground. But when the crack starts to open up, I don't know how long your legs are, but I'm not lasting very long. I got some pretty short legs. And as that chasm grows and the morality or the immorality of the world and the worldliness of the world stays where it is and the word of God is sure on this side and the chasm begins to grow greater and greater, you got to make a choice. You got to step across the crack somewhere or fall in. The time is coming, my friends. We have to take a step. We have to get our feet on the rock And we got to get our life on the rock. Because that way, Matthew says, you will not fall. How are we going to stand in the storms of life, in the storms of our nation, in the storms that are facing the Christian church in this nation? How are we going to stand? Well, I know the Bible. I know what's in here. Just ask me. I'll point you to any verses in here. It's not enough. According to the parable Jesus was talking here, he was saying, you must hear the word and put it into practice. Then there's security when the storm comes. Then the storm can come and the winds can blow and the water can rise and the rain can pelt you in the face and the winds can strike at you and your feet aren't going anywhere because what you're standing on, what you've invested your life in, what you're giving yourself to is not moving, so neither are you. Praise the Lord. There's security in life today by putting our life on the Word. Not just our, just, not just our knowledge, but our life on the Word of God. We have to. We have to. The storm is coming. The storm is coming. You see, obedience matters. Living by God's word about morality, about life, about what's true and real, it matters. Putting your life in line with what's in the word of God matters. See, both houses were built, and on a beautiful sunny day, they both looked beautiful. Nice paint jobs, shutters were on, roof was on, the flowers were planted out in the front, beautiful pillars, the cement driveway was in. Everything was there. It all looked beautiful on the outside. Everyone's life looks beautiful from the outside. 
Everybody's house looks the same from the outside. We're all the same. Only the storm will tell. Only the storm will prove what our life really consists of. Only the storm will tell what our foundation is. Only the storm. And my friends, the storm is coming. So I encourage you today. I urge you today to fix your lifestyle. Not life. Fix your lifestyle on the rock. You might say, Pastor Cindy, that's going to mean some changes. Well, when the storm comes, you're going to be glad you changed. You're going to be glad you got a firm foundation. You got glad you got a rock as a basement on the day that the storm comes. See, I'm I'm concerned about our nation and about the moral slide in this country. I can affect that in some ways. I can vote. I can have a political voice. My concern reaches far beyond the condition of our country. My concern is for you. The believers in this country are going to have to lay their life on the rock. Not just give verbiage and wordage and, and, and verbal assent to, yes, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe this, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. Yes, praise the Lord, we love his word, it's a great thing, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. That's fantastic. Have you taken time to look at your life? And if your life is matching up with what's being written here. The Beatitudes, great place to start. The teaching of the Sermon on the Mount that I just reviewed, a good place to start. Go back into the Beatitudes. Go back into the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5 through 7. And ask the Holy Spirit to align your life to the words that are there. To show you where you need to put your life in accordance with the words that are written there. That's an excellent place to start. To put your life on the foundation of the rock. You see, the breeze is strengthening to a wind. The mist is turning to a drop of rain. The tide of popular opinion and tolerance is moving away from the teachings of God's word. We're moving away. So when the chasm grows, where will your your two feet stand? Where will you come down? I'm concerned. Will the church stand in the storm? Or will the church fall in the storm? It's up to the church and what the church will do about the rock bed or about the sand. Where do we choose to build? I want to stand in the storm. I hope you do too. I want my life to stand in the storm. I want the church, Victory Life, to stand in the storm. The way we stand is to hear the word of the Lord and put what he tells us into practice. Let's pray. Father, we know that times are troubling and difficult. But Lord, you have given us a rock. A rock that will not shift or move or change or fail us. The rock is Christ Jesus and his word, the living word of God. 
Lord, I pray for your church today that we will evaluate our living by your word. That we will evaluate our choosing by your word so that, Lord, we will put into practice what you have given us so that we will stand. Lord, in my time in ministry, I've seen many fall because lives were built on sand. Lord, I pray that we would take the time, blow away the sand and find the rock and that we would secure our lives to the rock, Christ Jesus. And may nothing move us, nothing dissuade us, nothing make us change our mind or move away, Lord. For heaven and earth will pass away, you said, Lord Jesus, but my word will never pass away. May we hold to and live in what will last forever. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.